Lord, we are here in your presence today. Lord, hear our worship. It is for you and you alone. Isn't it good to be in the presence of the Lord this morning, right? Amen. We are and have that privilege just because of what Jesus did to enter into his presence. We don't have to have a go-between. We don't have to have people that give us permission. The veil was torn in two. And that gives us the ability to go before God and say, God... God, we love you and thank you for loving us. And thank you that we can just feel your presence in our lives, not just here right now, but every time we just want to stop and say thank you, God, and realize who he is. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you are here this morning. Thank you for taking time to come out. And what we do is worship. We worship the Lord and we take time in our, through our busy weeks and we just spend time with Him. And we sing some songs and we do a little preaching and we spend a little time. I'm going to be short this morning. you believe that? No. Well, I just lied to you. I forgive, forgive me, Lord. I'm going to take whatever time the Lord says take, right? That's the way it should be. And if you're here for visiting with us for the very first time, we're glad you came this way at Sunset Hills this morning. We hope that you've already felt a very warm welcome 
by our people as they greeted you as you came in this morning. And uh, if you haven't done so yet, we would love for you to take some time to let us know who you are and that you're here. You can do that by texting to that number right up there. And we will get back in touch with you just to share a word of, uh, of encouragement and to let you know we appreciate you coming this way, okay? Uh, Kelly's missing. He's on vacation this week. Uh, he wasn't taking much of a vacation, as many of us found out last night as we got up at his camp and uh, had some gospel, some southern gospel singing. Several of you made that trip up there last night, and I'm glad you made it back safely. You may, you, I understand you got back better than what you did going uh, with all the car sickness or bus sickness that some of you had with the curvy roads. He's way out in the country Pastor Mike is out sick this morning, and uh, so you pray for him that he's better. There's still going to be some folks take care of the kids, so you, you, can, you guys can go to Children's Church here shortly. I'm here. Whoa. Why, did you not expect me to be or something? I'm glad that I'm here. And you're here, and we're going to continue to worship as Sandy and the worship team will lead us in worship this morning. Sing your hearts out. Yes, we are down a worship leader, so you guys have to worship extra loud today, okay? Here we go. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give. Jesus
Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. We're going to introduce a new song to you today. And as I was listening to the lyrics, it brought a few verses to my mind and to my heart. And this truth became so clear. Sometimes we speak about how good our God is, and He is good. And what a gracious God He is, and He is gracious, but He is also all-powerful. He created everything with a word, with His breath, and sometimes that needs to be brought back into focus, the, the power and the awe of our God. Psalm 96, 11 and 12 says this, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the seas resound in all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing in joy, sing for joy. So today, as you're listening to these lyrics and getting familiar with um, the melody so that you guys can sing along anytime you catch on, I just want you to remember this. We are not the only ones that get to worship God because He created everything. And they're all worshiping. The trees, the creeks, they're all praising his name. And so we should do the same. This is called Tremble. Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. At your name, still call the sea to still. The rage in me to still every wave at your name Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus, breathe, call these bones to live, call these lungs to sing once again, I will praise Jesus, Jesus.
express your appreciation to the worship team this morning. Very sweet time of music and worship. I look out and I see a couple here that I just want to take just a minute to say personally my appreciation for them being here. I think it's only been about a week ago that I performed their wedding ceremony. Nelson and Lindsay Smith now you getting used to the last name Lindsay yeah would you guys just stand and let's welcome these guys they got married a week ago is that a week <laughs> two, two or one can't think of a better way to start out a marriage than to be in church a week after their ceremony amen and I don't get to say this often um Congratulations to the Tennessee Vols for beating Florida. If you're a Florida fan, if you're a Florida fan, uh, 
this sermon is for topics for you in a few minutes. I'll tell you what that is, all right? So far, we've been talking about for the last several weeks what to do when. We've talked about what to do when you're confused. We've talked about what to do, do when things go wrong. We talked about what to do when things go right. And today, we're going to talk about, well, before I introduce my topic, I, I need to go back and visit last week's sermon. I've decided that I made a miscalculation. I was actually trying to discover, to figure out which word I should put there. Was it a miscalculation? Was it a mistake? A blunder? Whatever it is, it's on me. I, I didn't make a miscalculation with anything having to do with Scripture or any of my points. When it comes to being thankful and acknowledging God, it's not anything like that, nor was it a miscalculation in how I believe the Bible tells us what we're to do when things are going right in our lives. The miscalculation I had had to do with an illustration I used to make my point. I shared with the congregation one of my pet peeves. I'm not going to tell you what that pet peeve is because I don't want to make the same mistake, but I have come to the conclusion that I might not ever share any pet peeves with our church again because I've heard from a few of our beloved church members about what bothers me. In fact, it was sent to me in a form of video, take a look. They thought it would be cute to send me a video of them cackling. Have you ever seen one of those videos uh, of a baby laughing and you just can't ha help but laugh along with them and it's a really warm feeling that you get, that fuzzy feeling? Well, I'll tell you, when I got this video, I did not have that feeling. <laughs> so my topic today is what to do when you share your pet peeve in a sermon. <laughs> No, seriously, we're going to talk about what to do when you have a problem. So the Florida Gators are probably talking today about what to do when they have a problem, right? The sermon's for them. Let me just ask you to join me in prayer again. Use this time, Father, this message. I don't know who it's for. Maybe it's for most of us maybe all of us maybe it's for one of us father it's not me it's not my words may it be your spirit that speaks to us today and you find us obedient in Christ's name I pray amen if we'll just take time to look we'll take time to observe we can see God's activity happening all around us they're the work, really, of God's constant intervention in our lives. And he orchestrates ways through events, through circumstances, and through people in order to speak to us. And sometimes he does it very directly. I, I think that we often really miss seeing God at work in our lives. Man does a pretty good job of attempting to try to take credit for what God does, and for what he does, he does alone. We rather chalk it up to luck or nature 
or maybe we think we've done it out of our own resources. So today, I want us to take a, a look at this and be challenged to have an opportunity to see how God interacts in our lives, maybe to see His intervention because of His activity. Uh, let me start by asking you a question. Are you here today and you have at least one problem in your life that is bigger than your ability to solve? Don't, don't raise your hand. But let that sink in just for a moment. Is there a problem in your life right now that is much bigger than your ability to solve? And if you're here today and you can say, yes, there is, and I want you to be encouraged by what we talk about today. We all face problems. Often we take pleasure in trying to solve the problems that we face. This, this past week I was, uh, I've got a project that I've been doing to give to the retiring executive director of the National Baptist Association. I'm doing a build for him that he asked me to do and we'll present it to him tonight at the annual meeting of the association, his last official business as executive director. So I needed some materials to solve a problem that I was having for this, this wall desk that I'm building for him. So I went to one of my favorite stores. Uh, uh, let me just tell you what it is in case you want to give me any gift cards. The name is Woodcraft. I'm teasing them. Actually, I'm not, but there's always truth in humor. That's true. So I was there, and I was telling the guy my dilemma, and he says, hmm, let's look around. We looked around at different types of hardware and whatnot, and, and uh, he tried to present a couple of things, and I said, that won't work. Uh, he said this, I, that won't work. And he says, well, I'm just not doing a good job of solving your problem, am I? I said, no, sir, you're not. He said, well, I usually take pride in solving people's problems, but I can't solve yours today. I said, no, you can't. I need someone else to solve my problem. You know, we, he says, well, I'm really disappointed that I can't solve your problem. He took great care in saying that he could do that, but he couldn't. There are times in life that we have problems that are much larger than our ability to handle. They overwhelm us. They consume our thoughts. They can paralyze our actions. It is a problem that is bigger than your ability to solve. But at the same time, when you have that going on in your life, it becomes an opportunity and for the potential for God to do an intervention in your life. Now, I'm going to just camp out on that just for a second in your minds. When you have a problem that's much too big for you to handle. Now, God expects us to handle many of our problems. He gave us common sense. It doesn't appear to be a whole lot of common sense these days. But, uh, you know, he, he did give us the ability to think and reason and solve issues and solve problems. But oftentimes there are things that are much bigger than us and our capability to do. And when that happens, it's an opportunity for God to step into your life 
and do an intervention and to see his work. And aren't you glad he does? Well, I'm not sure you are. Have you ever had a problem like that? Are you experiencing a problem right now? Are you in the midst of one? We're going to take a look at a man who had this kind of situation going on. If you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to look at a story about a man by the name of Naaman. The fact that this story is in the Bible is really interesting because of who he is. You might say that he is not a friend of God. Uh, in fact, when it comes to spiritual things, he has, no, he has no interest in who God is. He's actually a Syrian. He's a soldier. In his job, he's got everything in the world going for him. He's highly respected. He has a lot of power and prominence and prestige in his position. And you would consider him very successful in his endeavors of being a soldier. He's a leader, and he has acquired command over uh, many other soldiers, but he has a problem. And the story begins in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says this, Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. So he not only had respect from those under him, he had the respect of his master and he was highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he has leprosy. Much like the ten lepers of last week that we talked about. Now bands of raiders from Raram had gone out and had taken the captive, a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, he, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now I just want to stop for a second and just let your mind just kind of wander around through all the mixture of twists and turns and irony that's happening in this story. Sometime you should take some time to really sit down and read it and look between the lines to get a glimpse of the sense of, of characters that uh, they are experiencing, have experiences in this story. And it will amaze you when you stop and think about it. And verse 7 goes, As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to, me cure, to, to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? And this is a really interesting response by the king of Israel. He's angered by this request through this letter, and he's trying to figure it out. What's going on here? 
Why would this other king who has defeated us be sending this man from, to me to, to, to do this? Is there some sort of ulterior motive here? Uh, this, this letter bearer is the king of Israel's enemy. I mean, am I supposed to be nice to my enemy? Notice what he did. It says he tore his clothes. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king... I, isn't it just kind of interesting before I go, move too far, much further in this verse? Now, all this kind of ir irony that's taking place in this story. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Now, don't miss this. I want you to get this. This description of this man right here, Elisha, the man of God. Don't let that pass you by. This man of God says to the king, Why have you torn your robes? Have the, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his hand, and, and, and his Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Now, stop here just a second. You sense what Naaman's kind of feeling? It's pride. He wants a quick fix. He's basically saying, I'm too important to follow all these steps. Verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, says Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt officers and sacrifice to any other God but the Lord. So what do you do when you have a problem? Well, you've got to see Naaman as for what he is, really. And what we really see here is a desperate man. And he's seeking answers to this incurable problem that he has is leprosy 
this very painful disease, and I spent some time talking about how terrible it was and all the things it does to your body and, and what it does to you in society. I'm not going to take time to talk about this that this morning, but there are physical consequences and there are social consequences to having this disease. And Naaman experiences it. He knows that there's more coming that's not good, and he needs intervention into this problem that's too big for him to solve. In fact, he understands it's too big for human intervention. No amount of status that he has can do anything about it. No amount of power, and he has great power, can change it. Uh, his prestige can't do anything about it. He, he commands this great army, but they can't do anything about it. Uh, if he's going to be cured, it's not going to be by mankind. It's going to have to be by some power that's greater than mankind. He has this problem, and you see that there's a need for God's intervention. So we go back to this idea that I was talking about, this question that I ask you about your problem. Do you see it as a problem where you need God's intervention? The problem that's beyond your ability to do anything about it. Anytime there's a need for God's intervention in the life of someone, it's because there's a problem. There is a problem. Whether we as a culture want to admit it or not, we have a desperate need for God to solve our problems. Amen? It is true. And it seems like in this culture that I'm living in, I guess you're here too, that we need God to solve more of our problems because our problems seem to be growing greater and greater and of our inability to solve them. So we desperately need God because there is a need, and that's the starting point for getting God's attention and His action. If you don't have problems, you don't need God. And we certainly have developed that kind of attitude in our culture. Now, you may be sitting there kind of getting all puffed up and thinking, well, I don't have a problem that I can't solve. Really? Don't even go there. Don't even start buying into that secular humanism type of thing that I can just lift myself up by my own bootstraps and I can just fix everything myself. Please, don't go there. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't have a problem, you already have a problem. Right? Are you prideful? You've got a problem. Are you angry? You've got a problem. If you're a grumbler, you've got a problem. If you have any hatred in your heart, then you've got a problem. If you think you're better than someone else, anybody else, then you've got a problem. <laughs> Do you overeat? you got a problem. Have you looked too long at the opposite sex and looked at them a second or third or fourth time? Then you got a problem. 
These are all sin problems. And you know what the Bible says about sin? It says we all have sinned. So therefore, all of us have a problem. And we can't do anything about fixing that sin with God. It took God's intervention to overcome that problem. So this man has a problem. And really, when you stop and think about it, it's leprosy. We all have a problem with something similar to leprosy called sin. And we need God's intervention. And maybe the problem that you have that's much bigger than you is rooted in your sin problem. It may it may not be. I don't know. I'm not going to meddle in your life to find out. Just going to bring it to your attention. It could be sin. But it really could be any other number of possibilities that have nothing to do with sin, but still is your need for God to act on your problem. So what's the first step if you want steps? Now, look. I'm going to give you some steps, and it's not some real pretty box of, of, of do this, do this, do this, and, and everything's going to fix, and you're going to be walking out of here with this, this armor, this, this tool chest. And I've got all these tools in here, and man, it's going to take care of my problem. I, I wish that I could give that to you, but I can't because our problem is messy, and oftentimes it takes much longer than just kind of following a bunch of things. And fixing our problem although in the case of Naaman it does he gives him steps you go do this and it fixes that particular problem in Naaman's life but if you've got a problem the first step in order to get on the road to recovering from that problem is admit you've got a problem and you would be surprised at how many people just refuse to admit that they have a problem I think we all have experienced people who don't see that they've got a problem they just pretend that there's everything's, it's everybody else's fault. Naaman wakes up one morning and he realizes that, he, uh, that if he doesn't get help with this problem, it's all over. He's going to lose everything if he doesn't have some intervention. His career, his family, his fortune, his position. He, he's going to live in isolation and, uh, and alienation, so he's got to do something about it. So the first thing he does, he admits it. He admits, I've got a problem. And he's willing to look at things for what they were, not as what he wished they would be. And he's willing to bring this problem, so to speak, to a degree, into the light. Now, not many of us are willing to take this difficult step. We don't like admitting our problems. I don't. I don't know many people that do. We just don't want to admit it. We, we falsely think if we don't talk about them, maybe they'll just go away. Uh, if we don't confront them, then maybe we can just avoid them. And, or we, we, we start blaming others. We, we get defensive or we just plain deny it. Or worse yet, we just don't think we have a problem. We have settled to a life in this culture of it's my right it's my feelings, there are no absolutes, there's no truth, and the only truth there is is the truth that I make up for myself, and when you start living that kind of life, you basically ignore 
that you've got a problem. You say, me? What are you talking about? And then we go on and say, well, you don't have a right to call out my problem. Who are you? So the first thing you do is you do this. Paul wrote about this. He wrote about kind of these times. And, man, it's just very evident today as it was back then. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Watch it. Watch this description of people. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Man, I think that's sermon material for a very near sermon. Amen? Because is that not a perfect description of what we seem to be living in today? I just stepped on some toes, and they don't even know I stepped on them. But there are people going through, there's people going through my mind right now that, wow, if, mm, let's move on. We live in a culture where the focus is on me, not, not, everybody kind of point to yourself. Everybody point to yourself? Yeah. We seem to be the focus of that these days. That's where our focus seems to be. Naaman is realizing, hey, you know what? Yeah, this is about me, this problem that I have, but me can't solve it. I got to get beyond this, I can fix it. I've got to get beyond this denial stage. Uh, I can't escape it. So he realizes his predicament. And he resolves to do something about it, and that leads to the second step in the process of preparing yourself to deal with a problem. Be willing to do something about it. You see, Naaman was not only willing to admit his problem, but he was willing to do some radical things to get the problem fixed. Let's take a look at some of the things that he does. And first thing he does, he takes advice from a girl. A Jewish girl, a captive girl. He finds out that she has some wisdom. So Naaman is so desperate that he's placed in a position to listen to what she has to say. And as it turns out, he likes the advice that's given to him, and then he acts on it. From there, he gets permission to leave the country and visit the prophet Elisha. Remember, he's going to visit enemy country. First, he has to go before the king of Aram and and present his request and get the king to agree to it. 
And when he receives the request, he jumps at the chance to give Naaman permission to go because, you know, he's a great warrior for the kingdom, so why not? He's very valuable, so he jumps at the chance, and he gives him. He says, not only can I, will I let you go, but I'm going to give you a letter. See what's happening? He's willing to do something about his problem. He didn't just give up. He was willing to take the problem, in this case, to the highest authority in the land. He's willing to do something about it. And we've got to be willing to do something about our problems. We can't just sit around and say, oh, me. Look how pitiful my life is. I'm desperate. And I'm just going to sit here and wait for somebody to come and act in my desperation. He gets up and he takes action. He's willing to do something about it, the problem. And he goes to the king. He gets permission. So are you willing to do something about your problem? Here's the third thing to do that he does. Expect the need to sacrifice. Damon's willingness to sacrifice establishes his groundwork for God's intervention. What does he do? He, he gathers up his belongings. He gets gold and silver and ten sets of clothes. Who, who needs ten sets of clothes? But he got ten sets of clothes, and he, he gets his entourage of people together and sets out on a journey and high hopes of being healed. Really what this is saying is he, he spares no expense. He's, he's willing to sacrifice what he has in order to get his problem addressed, willing to pay a price. Uh, nothing's going to be held back. He, he just puts it out there. He's willing to sacrifice. If you really want to see God's activity in your life, you have to be willing to sacrifice. If you really want to see God work, then you've got to sacrifice. What does that sacrifice look like? Well, I don't know. It could be some time. It could be some action. It, it could be giving up uh, something. It could be giving up status. It, certainly, it's giving up self-absorption. Uh, self you know what I'm saying. It, it could be a lot of things that you have to be willing to give up. But you've got to be willing to sacrifice. You can't keep holding on to, to the very things that kind of put you in the desperate state. You have to be willing to say, I release them. I'm willing to give them up. <clears throat> and when you get to that point of truly knowing and understanding God's, your need for God's interviction... It puts you in a place where you start looking at what's really important. You know, life has a way of doing that. The things we think are important when we become desperate just kind of fade away. I'm reminded of what is important every time I preach a funeral the life of a family. Yeah. Everything comes to a stop for that family. We start realizing what was important. One of my favorite hymns written in 1918 by Helen Lemel expresses the idea 
beautifully. It says, Oh, so are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And then it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's amazing what really becomes important when you're focused on seeing God work in your life. You want to see God work in your problems? It's going to take some sacrifice. Naaman was willing to sacrifice. Now, when he goes to meet the prophet Elisha, a messenger gave him detailed instructions what he should do and how he could be healed. And Elisha said, you need to go wash in the Jordan seven times and then you'll be cured and your flesh will be restored. Seven times, Elisha said. And the Bible describes this that, I mean, all of a sudden his countenance changes. Naaman's attitude totally changes. And he gets angry. Angry. I mean, imagine you're Naaman, the commander of the king's army. You're pulling up to Elisha's house with your entourage. Has you, have you ever seen anyone important with their entourage? I mean, it's, I, I, well, do I really want? Yeah, let's just go ahead and do it. I might as well. I've stepped in a lot. I might as well just go on and step in this one too. Country music stars. Uh certain athletes politicians <laughs> it seems like every time I see uh, somebody there's been a few like they don't have this but many of them do they have they're not just kind of wandering around by themselves they have an entourage around them David Allen Coe came to our church years ago he had about 12 people with him. I have to tell you that story sometime. But he, come, he comes in the back of the sanctuary. He goes all the way around the farthest, the furthest way he could go, the longest path. And he comes right all the way around, sits right down on the front seats right over here with his entourage. Yeah. Like, you know what I've noticed when I've noticed, and I've seen, I haven't seen a great number of them, but I've seen a few. You know, I've noticed that when somebody's walking around with an entourage, they're kind of in the middle, kind of front and center. It's like, look at me. <laughs> look at all of my people around me. You know, I'm important. Clear the way. You need to stop everything you're doing and meet my needs. Yeah. That seems to be the kind of attitude that David has. And when he doesn't get the attention of Elisha, he gets angry. Again, it goes back to pride. Elisha asking him, sends word, just, all you have to do is just do this simple thing, go down to the Jordan and wash seven times. Watch this. He's willing to sacrifice so much of his wealth He's willing to have gone and, and, and paid the price in order to get to the fact that he could even go and see the man of God. But when he gets there, Elisha doesn't come out to meet him. And rather, he sends a messenger and says, 
go do this. And Naaman just says, well, I'm not willing to do that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He has two complaints. He doesn't like the manner in which God chooses to offer healing. He wanted a grand miracle. I can't help but think, you know, I'm important. God, you need to pay attention to me. I've done all this stuff that, that I needed to do to get in place in the position, and, and so now I'm demanding that you give me this grand miracle by just having the man of God come out and wave his hand over the swords and they all be gone. Just a few magic words. And if we were really to be honest, we want that kind of response from God also. God, I need you to fix this. And I need you to fix it right now. We were talking to our life group this morning about we have this expectation that we want God to keep us happy. And, and, and when we have that kind of attitude to where God, we're just kind of bringing, bringing, bringing God down way off of who he really is. We're, we're trying to change the perspective of who he is. We're trying to bring God down to our level of this being this puppet God of you fix everything in my life so that I can have a great and grand and happy life. That's not who God is. God does things on his time. But here's the thing we have to keep in mind as we're going through this. He calls on us to trust him to work in his time. And he often gives instructions to us to see if we're willing to wait with him. That means we have to trust him so that we can build our faith. Naaman has a second complaint. God's going to make him bathe in a river. Couldn't he have chosen a cleaner one? I was like, I mean, there are much better rivers out there than the Jordan, a filthy river, and you want me to go and get in that dirty river? And he didn't see how this dirty river was going to cleanse this incurable disease. How do you get into a dirty river and come out clean? So he gets mad, and he walks off in a huff. His response is basically, no, thank you. And do you see the life he was willing to choose in walking off from God? And man, this is so relevant to us today. When we walk off from God, what we're basically saying is, I'd rather live in my desperate state. I'd much rather choose my own way of doing life than to do this one that is so much better that's going to cure me from my diseases. And so he just rejects the man of God and he says, I'll just be satisfied with this because you're asking to be doing something I don't want to do. And he says that the, he was enraged over the whole thing took some time for Naaman to finally come around to it finally after giving it some thought and being persuaded he did exactly what Elisha told him to do comes to his senses 
And he goes and does the, takes the plunge seven times. And that brings us to the next kind of step, anticipate change. When you turn things over to God, be ready for change to happen in your life. Well, let's see. I, I'm going to move on. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times and the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a little boy. His life changed. His life, you know, expect when we do things according to God on his terms, life is going to change. For the better, always for the better, but sometimes it's going to get worse, but better at the same time. Figure that one out. It's true in God's economy. Next, don't just anticipate it, expect it. Expect the unexpected. When Naaman goes to the man of God, he certainly doesn't expect God to solve his problem this way. Don't let it surprise you that God addresses your problems in ways that you could never imagine. God works the way he does, not our way. Don't try to tell God how to fix your problem. He just may not pay any attention to you. Sometimes he fixes in ways that it's like, wow, didn't see that coming. But boy, wasn't it great? Yeah. His intervention may come in ways that we never thought of, in ways you don't expect it. And what I've discovered is sometimes he doesn't fix the problem the way that we prayed for it to be fixed. But in the meantime, he's saying, just trust me, because I got your back. I want good for you. It's all going to work out. Everything's going to be in my way, in my timing. You just, your job's just to trust me. And man, through this whole kind of sermon series, I have brought that up at least, at least every time that one of our jobs in whatever problem we find ourselves in is to trust God. Never stop trusting God you can trust God I don't think Naaman expected to walk away from a dirty river a changed man not only was his leprosy healed but his skin was restored but he got so much more than that his leprosy really had to do with the sores on his body that's on the outside but you know what God did he changed him on the inside and he finally discovers who the real God is and God does so much more than just fixes his skin he fixes his heart and he becomes a changed man Man, I tell you, sometimes I sit around and say, God, I want to see a miracle. 
I really want to see another miracle. I, I've seen some miracles in my life. And I've seen God do some interventions and some interactions in ways that I never expected him to do. And it's so cool when I see that. And sometimes I kind of get in this kind of like, well, I saw you do this, now I'm ready to see this. Where are you, God? Come on, we need your help. You know, it's like, we need to do this in our church, and so we need you to, man. Do you know what the greatest miracle of all is? When our life is changed. When a person becomes saved. We forget that. The greatest miracle of all happened because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save us from our sins. And every time a young boy or young girl accepts Jesus into her heart, every time a man or a woman accepts Jesus into the heart that's the greatest miracle of all and you know what we get to do today we don't have to go find some man of God somebody that proclaims that they're a man of God we don't have to go find some preacher we don't have to go find somebody who, who uh, it, it just says hey Come to me, I can give you access to God. We don't have to do that anymore. We have the privilege to go to God himself directly because of what Jesus did for us. Would you pray with me, please? If you are here... In the very beginning when I said, do you have a problem bigger than what you're able to do, bigger than what you're able to solve, I'm going to ask you right now to bring that problem before God. Say, so God, here it is. I'm going to place it in your care. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm just going to wait for you to solve my problem. I want you to call out to God what that problem is, whatever it is. God, this relationship's not working. This situation at the job is just it's more than I can handle. I've got this illness, God. I... I Doctors are telling me this, and, I, and I'm going to listen to what they had to say, but the outlook's not looking too good. God, I really don't know what to expect of this, but here, here's what I am going to do. Whatever the problem is, I'm going to trust you with it. Now, that takes courage, and, and that takes just uh, surrender, but I'm willing to do it 
right now. Now trust God with it. Trust God. Maybe there's something going on in your life where you just need to come here in this altar and pray about it. It's a great time to do it. Really, what that does is shows that, hey, yeah, I've got this problem. I mean, there's no need to be embarrassed. I've already said that everybody's got a problem. It's just our problems are different. But remember, Naaman took action, maybe just walking down here. And I'm not trying to get you, coax you into doing something. I'm just saying, you got to take some action. So maybe you just need to come here in this altar and kneel down or sit down on the seat and say, by this action, God, I, I'm, I'm moving. This is, this is movement to say, yeah, I've got this problem now. I'm going to trust you. Maybe you just need to talk with someone about it. Maybe you want to talk with me and, and let me have prayer with you. But if God's calling you to face that problem and do something about it, don't let this opportunity to pass you by. Help us, Father, be brave and bold to take action bring our problem before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand.
Help us just to call out the name of Jesus. To realize the power that is in that name. The name above all names. The name that when we just say Jesus has such a sweet ring to it. To trust Him. To go about what we do this week, Father, as we face the trials and tribulations that come, help us just to slow down and call out the name of Jesus to give us what we need. In His name we pray. And all the church said, you may be seated, please. Just a few announcements before we head out this afternoon. I would like to uh, announce that um, the women can pick up a cheat sheet. I don't know what that is, but my wife told me to tell you to pick up a cheat sheet, you know, of all the activities that um, are going on. So they're going to be at the back tables. So ladies, if you need a cheat sheet, you know where to get it the back tables all right uh, all the Bible studies that are taking place I was here on Wednesday evening preparing for deacons meeting and saw a lot of neat Bible studies taking place I participated in men's Bible study on Tuesday evening and if you would like to be involved in any of the Bible studies I encourage you to do so I want to also to, uh, encourage you if you haven't signed up to do trunk or treat that's coming up it will be here before we know it uh, we need uh, uh, several more people. We've almost got all of our parking spaces that we've designated filled. But I challenged us to do far more than just the 25. And, and you guys responded. Some of you all responded very quickly and very quickly. Uh, I said that twice, didn't I? Quickly and quickly. But, you know, g g sign up so we can uh, show people in this community that we're a church that cares on Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, the Nolansville Police Department will be conducting some training in our parking lot. So if you pass by and you see that the Nolansville Police Department is out there, don't be alarmed. They are training. I asked them what the training was going to be. You might not want to hear this, but they're training on how to pull people over. So... Uh, we're making them very welcome in our community to come to our parking lot and teach them how to train people who are breaking the law and doing things they shouldn't be doing, okay? I, I just, I just say this to about the Knowles Police Department. They are a great police department. And the police chief, yeah. Police chief is a personal friend. He's a believer and uh, just uh, doing a great job of leading the Nolansville Police Department. They do a lot of things. And the Nolansville Fire Department does a great job as well, so I don't want to leave them out. Yeah. All right. Want to go see the Titans play this afternoon? Not really. <laughs> well, stand up and oh, maybe we should pray for them. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for coming to worship this morning. Lord, we do thank you that Tennessee Vols won last night. We pray for the Titans. They are in desperate need. Seriously, Father, help us remember who you are and how you really want to, to intervene in our problems. You do it because you love us. Help us rely on you to take us through those times. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them, have a great afternoon. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody. Thank mm-hmm. you.